I'm Caleb, and this is the Air of Grievances podcast. better spirits than I was the last time that we spoke. Um, I still am a little bit down, but I'm feeling a lot better. Uh, we had Revolution Church just yesterday, and that really brought my spirits up hearing Jay's message and then spending some time having lunch with him afterwards and uh, just, you know, I guess fellowshipping, as it were, with him and spending time with him and uh, talking about some potential uh, future endeavors for Revolution and growing the church and things things like that and just kind of gave me a little bit of a sense of purpose which helps to uh to kind of bring me a little bit out of the depths of my depression and so thank you so much jay i love you so much thank you for doing that and spending time with me um today i have an interview with my dad the second interview that i've done with him gregory rowe In this interview, we talk about the role of fear in Christianity, um, about the Old Testament versus new modern revelations, the second coming, whether or not it's a literal event, progressive Christianity. Uh, We talk about other religions such as uh, Buddhism, Islam, uh, even Sikhism. We also talk about what it takes doctrinally to be considered a Christian. And we get into the topic of hell. Hot button issue there. But before we get started with that, I'd like to uh, play a segment that we haven't done in quite a while and play a clip, an audio recording from my great uncle Wally, who was a missionary up here in Net Lake, Minnesota. And uh, just kind of check in on him and hear what he has to say. Here we go. to laugh and so it was really fun for us to spend some years in, in Net Lake. I told you earlier about Fred Isham and how he became a Christian and during the time that uh, we were on good terms and he hadn't yet become one, uh, he lived next door and we used to go over to their house all the time or, or else uh, they'd come over to our house and uh, they had a small house. One uh, kitchen, living room, dining room, eating room, and uh, two small bedrooms. The bathroom was outside behind the, the house. The, uh, there's no water uh, in the house, but there was electricity. There were 16 people living in that little three-room house, so you can imagine how noisy it could be at times. Shirley and I decided to go over there one night and visit with them. Um, we came in the door into what was their uh, the main room. Fred was sitting on the Davenport, uh, reading uh, some kind of a, a book. Uh, he read a lot of a lot of cowboy uh, westerns back in those days, and uh, he was sitting there reading when we came in. And the kids all hollered, "Hi, Shirley! Hi, Wally!" And they were jumping up and down and making all kinds of noise. And 
Fred just sat there reading. He was so oblivious to the noise around him that he wasn't hearing a thing. So I walked over to the Davenport. I sat down beside him, and um, he never even noticed me. So I moved over closer to him, and he just kept on reading. So I moved over until I was touching him, sitting side by side, just leaning up against him. And all he did was move himself over a little further. And I moved myself over, and then he moved himself further away. And I moved back up to him, and he moved further away. Well, by this time, the kids were standing around watching this, and they were laughing and carrying on. Fred never looked up. Finally, the kids all stopped. They were looking at him, kind of chuckling. Then when it got quiet, he looked up quickly and says, What's going on? Why is it so quiet? And then he looked over, and I was sitting right beside him, and of course everybody else burst out laughing. Our friend had been oblivious to the noise, and now we were there, and so we started to visit and talk, and finally Fred said, you know what, if we're going to visit, we're going to your house. So without an agreement on our part, he just jumped up and put on his cap and coat, and out the door he went, and his wife Ann had to put on her coat, and the four of us went over to our place laughing, having a great time. Well, they used to come over a lot, we over to their house and they over to ours. One night they came over and uh, and we had uh, gotten a game uh, of Dirty Marbles. You kids all know Dirty Marbles. And uh, it came from Seattle. Grandpa Kilgore and Grandma Kilgore brought it out to us. And uh, we were playing that, that Dirty Marbles game. And uh, Fred was saying, hey, Wall. These women are really beating us. Don't you think it's time we struck them and made them behave? And he was referring to the way some of the men up there would beat on their wives. And uh, so I turned to Shirley. We were sitting, four of us, at a card table. Shirley was on my right-hand side. I turned to her and just uh, faked a punch with my fist at her face. Of course, I was going to pull it back before it ever got there. But about that time, she turned and was going to say something to me about punching her, and boy, my fist landed right smack in her forehead, right between the eyes. It was a big thunk, and everything went dead silent. Fred said, excuse me, before that, he said, do you ever punch your wife? And I said, no, I never have. He says, well, a man hasn't lived till he's punched his wife. So then I did smack her accidentally. It became absolutely silent, dead silent. Nobody said anything. Tears rolling down Grandma's cheeks. I didn't know what to say. And Fred piped up, Well, now you've lived. I laughed. Fred laughed. Grandma still doesn't laugh at that one. We had played that marble game for a while. We decided it was... Time to have some coffee. Or maybe it was another night, I don't remember. And anyway, Shirley poured the coffee and I got up and went to help her serve that coffee and she brought whatever we were gonna eat and and I brought the coffee cups over to the table and I put them down in front of each person and as I handed Anne her cup of coffee, uh, she went to take it in her hands and I don't know what happened. 
it really doesn't matter, I guess. But the cup tipped over, and this hot coffee landed right in Anne's lap. Now, Anne was a fairly thin lady. She was probably in her 50s at the time, but she dressed quite nicely, and uh, that was the time of the miniskirts. And Anne had come over wearing a miniskirt. And uh, sitting with her legs underneath the card table, she was fairly comfortable. But you could see, uh, sitting anyplace else, she was really, really uncomfortable with that miniskirt. Well, when this hot coffee poured in her lap, she pushed the chair back and jumped up and grabbed that skirt and pulled it up way up to her waist. And then she realized that we guys were sitting there, and so she pushed her skirt back down again but it was still hot so she jerked it back up and we were still sitting there so she jerked it back down and while Fred and I were having a hard time keeping from just losing our sanity laughing she looked at me and she said you know Wall a gentleman would have looked away now that's about the worst reprimand I got that day but Ann and Fred and I were great friends and we have been, and we continued to be up until the end of both of their lives. I love those stories from my Uncle Wally. They're just so uh, real life and so non-fabricated and just real. And it kind of gives you a glimpse into the life of a pastor out of his element, um, who's, you know, his priority is spiritual well-being of the community, but he doesn't approach it directly. He doesn't approach it blatantly. He approaches it through relationships. And I think that's a very Christ-like way to approach such things. Uh, so, yeah, I just I love my Uncle Wally. Very, very proud of him and, uh, and of all of his children, who they've become. Um, yeah, I guess that's about all I have to say about that. So let's go ahead and get on with my interview with Pops, with Gregory Rowe. Here we go. All right, welcome back to Air of Grievances. I am here with my father, Gregory Rowe, and we thought we'd have a little bit of a follow-up episode. How's it going, Pops? Doing good. Awesome. Please bear with us. We've had some technical difficulties, um, some some gear malfunctions and uh, i'm just hoping and praying that this turns out okay uh but we'll just hope for the best um so dad how's how's it been going with uh with church life have you been um have you been attending the uh, church building here recently i know you're rolling to men at the cross and small groups and things like that how's the uh the edifice treating you yeah, we we don't go into church. We watch online right now. Mhm. Yeah. It seems like that's a, that's a trend, you know. And uh it seems like I'm not sure if what you alluded to before if it's like a soul care thing, people feel like their needs aren't getting met there or if it's a community thing, a lack of community. Do you have any insight as to what that might be? It's funny. Sam, because today we were discussing Andy Griffith, and Nick was pointing out how that little town was a society, a community together, and we don't have that today. Hmm. And, and I thought that reflected well, because Alex really enjoys watching that show, and that's, uh, you know, I think it's interesting that that's 
attention that people want that community and they admire it and it's, it's just not happening right 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 yeah and do you see that like in older churches uh, you know incorporated with the community and that kind of dwindling in today's uh, it sounds kind of you know stereotypical but in, in today's uh, modern media driven world yeah, watching it over the last 20 years, ever since we got out of the military, the military is a community, and the church in the military is a community within the community, and that was always well established. When you go to a small town, and it took us seven, eight years to get accepted into the town's community, that um, then sitting and watching that as a deacon and on the committees, um, the disintegration of the community came over the traditions mm. the music what we wear mm. and that's where everyone started separating out into well I, I'm not going to dress up in suit and tie well they're not going to dress up in suit and tie they're, we don't feel they're part of our community you know oh, I, I don't like that music well then I'm not going to listen to your music so I was like well okay let's just forget all that mm. but let's quit doing church by going to a building where people argue over music and clothing yeah do you see that as a cultural divide like do you think that uh, there could very well that could be replaced with a younger community saying oh you're dressing up coming to church you know like that doesn't fit in with the mold sort of thing or do you think it's more of an absolute I have only experienced a lack of that judgment of outward appearance and, and um, orchestration um, by going into a camp, right? We go to the weekends, men at the cross, uh, anywhere where you're just, everyone knows you're in a cabin out in the woods, you don't dress up, you wear your jeans, certainly <laughs> dresses the same. And they know how to do a weekend retreat, uh, and there, there seems to be less of that um, showiness. Mm. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Cool. Well, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm going to kind of dive in here. As you know, I've, I've been going through a bit of a season of depression, and along with that comes a little bit of jadedness and just a kind of a negative outlook on life and you know uh kind of a mopiness on i'm not going to frill it up i'm not going to make it sound like it's something it's not but uh you know a, a, a lack of frilliness and something to me that that maybe god has revealed to me or, or you know maybe that i've just been observing uh is that every time that i go to a church building every time i hang out at least with uh evangelicals it seems like there is this innate fear to offend God. Like, everything I'm saying, God is sitting there in a notebook, writing it down. If I say the wrong thing, I have to quickly redact it. And I have to quickly say, oh no, God, that's not what I meant. You know, um, you may have misunderstood me. You know, but but the God that Christianity worships is incapable of misunderstanding and and exclusively sees the heart. And for me, honestly, I know I've talked about being turned off by the church and stuff, but here recently I've had this new wave of being turned off by seeing people just being 
afraid to upset daddy, to upset God, to to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Like, I was hanging out, you know, I was doing a VBS, helping out with the sound there, back in Kansas, and I made a silly joke. I made a, a silly, what, might, what some might call an irreverent joke. And everyone got real quiet and looked at each other and was like, I don't know if you should say that, man. And it's like, dude, God knows my heart. God knows the love that I have for him. And I don't think that God is so fickle that I'm stepping on his toes by by saying something that may be misconstrued as disrespectful. Do you have any response to that? Yeah, it's helping me to talk through this because it ties into what we said at the beginning, I think, that the community is judging you. Mm. So God's not judging you. You're in this environment where the community feels we're on stage or being judged and your comment was off-color, therefore it doesn't fit the situation. Right. And whether they really believe that God is sitting there judging them or they're seeing God through the lens of a community that's judging you and therefore projecting God to say mm. God is like that. Like, they might just say, you know what, I don't like hearing you say that. Yeah. That would have been better. You know? Yeah. Do you think that they don't like me saying that because for some, you know, reason implanted in childhood, it uh, upsets them or offends them or, or is, you know, has discord with how they were raised or because they're really scared that if they say the wrong thing, they'll get sent to hell or they'll lose a crown on, the, on, on their, or uh, a, a stone on their crown sort of thing. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, and I'm faltering at reading into their minds and their view of God, because it could be that that's their view of God, and it could be they're again, just viewing you through their lens yeah. in that particular situation. Yeah, okay. Um, for a more specific example, like if I say around mom, oh my God... And she, you know, there's a red flag that goes off. And she's like, you know, oh, you cannot, you got, or she, she says, you have to be careful what you say. And it's like, do I have to be careful what I say to you? Or am I really going to upset this pouty, you know, scripture uses the term jealous, but I'm not too sure how that exactly translates. But do you really think that, that God is going to damn me for, you know, using a colloquial expression. The more I think about it, the more I believe that that is someone saying, I don't like that, therefore God doesn't like that. Hmm. It seems like a a me-centric approach to theology. To me, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, it, it, um, there are elements of us growing up being taught a bunch of rules and then certain people just gravitate toward the rules and the rules then are the fabric of the society therefore you're violating the fabric of the society and that fabric of society is tied into a ecumenical environment and so God is seen as being an element or underpinning 
and some people, I think, again, are more projecting to say, well, God doesn't like that. Mm, yeah, that, that's a good uh, way to put it. Put it like projecting their thoughts of, of what God would or would not like. I don't know. I just recently I've been on this stint where I just I see so much fear in in contemporary evangelical Christ, Christians to where they're walking on eggshells and they don't want to upset God because of the wrath you know, that he has in store and, and, and the, the fine line between salvation and damnation. And I'd love to hear yeah. you counterpoint me. I'd love to hear you argue with me. Yeah, um, so I, I, oh, I can't argue with the fact that I experienced the same thing you're referring to. I can also say that I am offended at using God, the word God, or oh Lord, in a as a superlative mm. that that offends me, mm. and as, as you're saying, I say, well, it's not really thank God. And I let people go, well, your heart's the right place. So I don't know, it's offending God. That's I'm rethinking um, what I'm saying. I, you know, we hold in reverence. I, I think every community. I had an issue at work because this group where I went to work in the office, they held certain things as sacred. And I didn't know what was sacred to them. Mm. And what was sacred to them had to do with the stock market. It's a publicly traded company. And anybody, when they start talking about the share price, everyone got hushed up and they listened. And the executives uh, became the leaders, were going to follow you and understand what, what you're thinking and how that's going to affect. Uh, and I, I would just make jokes or say something lightly. And everyone would look at me. I realized, oh, great. I just offended the group, and so they're rejecting me because I don't know what's sacred to them, and therefore treat with uh, you know, kick gloves that which is sacred. So yeah, to, sacred to your mom and I is the name of the Lord, which we know to be we consider to be God or Lord. Anytime someone says God or Lord, and they're not talking directly about this heavenly Father, all powerful, omniscient person, we go, "Wait, you're den- denigrating." what we're holding sacred mm. that don't just use it commonly in, in language. Yeah. Do you think that that offends God? Do you think that makes him mad and, and, and uh, you know, jealous for lack of a better term? Well, talking to you has helped me question my own view and I've gotten more and more closer to understand what you're saying and say, you know, don't just look at the heart. God judges the heart. We look outwardly we listen to the words. We judge the words. That's not God judging. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, something else that I wanted to talk to you about uh, that actually I listened to um, one of my favorite podcasts today that's by uh, two ex-pastors, one of whom is now a Catholic, the other whom is now an agnostic, and they're best friends, and they get along great and everything. Um But they were talking about the idea, and this is something you and I have discussed before, about, um, you're going to help me with the terminology, Um, what's natural revelation versus... um, General general versus uh, direct. Direct, yeah. So the question is, did direct revelation stop 
2,000 years ago, or is it still ongoing? Is God still revealing new things to us today? So first I give the book answer from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is when once God had said everything he needed to get out there and get documented, then there's no need to repeat yourself. Right. That's what they say. So when there was something new needed to be said, it's already been said. There's nothing new to directly reveal about the nature of God. Right. Yeah. Um, Maybe this is being nitpicky, but how about, you know, like abortions, you know, or uh, gender identity, you know, or things like that? Um, Do you? Oh, I'd love it for Jesus to show up as he's promised to do in the end times and set up the government and say, here's the law, and here's how it applies. We all go, oh, that's a relief. Now we know this, it wouldn't be simple. I don't think either side can say, well, he agreed totally with what I thought it was. Mm. I yeah. think he's going to get, no, no, you're wrong about this. No, no, on the other side, you're wrong about that. Just like he did when he came in. in the first few sides, he's on one side, and it um, you know, Roman haters on the other side. Right. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Um, do you think that the second coming, the second coming, will be a literal, fully grown flesh and blood uh, Jesus Christ descending from the clouds? The first half of that sentence. Uh, can you say it again? Do you think that the second coming will be a literal? physical manifestation of the man Jesus Christ descending from the clouds and returning to earth. Right. So I recognize Revelation is poetic in most of the content. And I would love it if he does show up and you know, straighten things out down here. I don't feel that that is essential to my faith. Mm. You could say, well, I, I, that part was also poetic and figurative. Yeah. Uh, and it wouldn't affect me, of course. Yeah. What do you think about, um, like, the whole thing with him on a white sword, or a white horse with a sword, and do you think that's the judgmental side that we did not see when he was a man? living on earth, or do you think that that's perhaps something that we misinterpret? I I see that as figuratively speaking to his authority. He's showing up with authority Mm. and is going to execute justice, not simply an itinerant pastor who's teaching us how to be in our hearts. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Very cool. Um, let's see here. Uh, do you, now this is personal, and I will take no offense to this at all, um, but you talk a lot of times about how, you know, my generation uh, is going to usher in a new age of Christianity, and you're very hopeful about that. How do you, and be honest with, please be honest with me, how do you feel about progressive Christianity? Yeah, uh, I'm glad for it to question and help with the transition. So there has to be a transformation. We're clearly ready for reformation. And 
So progressive thinking is going to question everything. And I feel certain things don't need to be questioned. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I'm not progressive in the sense of liberal Christianity that says, well, the no, Bible really didn't mean what it says. We shouldn't take things, anything literally in the Bible. I go, you well, know, I don't know, it's worked for me. So why do you have to question things that are working for me right now? Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, what do you think it is that qualifies a Christian as being saved? That is, do you think that there's a series of doctrines and dogmas that qualify us? Uh, you know, do Mormons fall into that category as far as proclaiming Christ as Lord? Do you think that the Trinity is an essential doctrine? Um, you know, things like that. Like, as far as denomination to denomination, I guess is what I'm asking. What what things do you think? I'm not. I'm not even saying necessarily in this question qualifies you as being saved, but what qualifies you as being a follower of the teachings of Jesus Christ? So my application of the scripture, which says that if you Confess with your lips, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised from the dead, you shall be saved. I apply that in saying that you are attracted in your heart, you're wanting to be like that guy, and you're believing in the power behind being that guy. Yeah. Then, then you're saved. Yeah. Anybody, anywhere, I can't see their heart, but they don't want to be like that guy. To me, they're, they're saved. Yeah. And me personally, I, I have baggage around the, the term saved, but I, I totally hear what you're saying. Um, can I pick that apart a little bit? Can I be nitpicky? Is that okay? Yeah, please. Yeah. Um, so when you say profess Jesus is Lord, Lord is not a word in our colloquial. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, is that no. s- synonymous to you, to God? Yeah, I had to think about that long and hard, and maybe now it's become ecumenical, but it's, uh, yeah, uh, for me to break that down, I had to say, well, what the heck? So, yeah, Lord, in the context of medieval Europe, someone with authority, um, so to say he's in charge. This is the guy who built it all, and he is the prototype and the archetype for human humanity. Mm. He, he's the definition of being human. Yes. Well, I love that. So, I love that. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. Lord to me. Is, he's the definition. Okay. Do Would you say that someone who is not sure that Christ is the creator, but that is the archetype of the creator, is disqualified from being a Christian? Yeah. Maybe I'm splitting hairs. Uh, So if it's the archetype, and there can only be one archetype, then it must be... Intertwined with the created 
basis, right? There, there was a, a, a plan, a design, and the design came into fruition as creation. Well, it was, it was integral to creation. Is that close to what you're asking? I think so. Would you say Jesus as the man or as the cosmic Christ, as the, as, as the force of love in that definition? Right. Yeah, and so the two elements that Pastor Derek quoted indicate cosmic Christ first. There is cosmic Christ, and and Angel accepts that. Okay, this first statement. Then he's that. He's the archetype. He's human. He's definitely humanity. Being being human and being good, and then coming in the flesh is oh, and I can be that way. Hmm. I'm not. I'm going to fail all the time, but it, it proves that is a. A practical potential of of a human spirit, human nature, and, and, and it's our physicality. Mm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, kind of showing us what to strive toward, but not beat ourselves up when we don't get there. Yeah, and the power of saying that he was a historical person, which is generally challenged. Right, known at the academic credentials will run around saying, "Oh, he didn't even exist." They'll say, "Oh, there's this historic Christ." And then for me, the, there's power in saying, "And he is the cosmic Christ in, in the flesh." They go, "Oh, it's the possibility. It's not just an idea out there." And I, I feel robbed by a message that says, "Oh, and by the way, it doesn't have to be anything." You know, it could just be an idea. Like, wait, wait, that doesn't... It's just an idea. There are plenty of ideas in the world. What, what gives this one authority as the single idea that really works and is in practice and has saving power? Yeah. To play devil's advocate, what does give him that authority? The definition. So, the, the, there's, there's no way to rationally arrive at, oh, this is what a good human needs to be. It's like, no, it's a given. This is what is good because it was good beginning, middle, end, always, alpha and omega. It's just the one thing that's good. Mm, okay. So you wouldn't see other... Um, you know, religious teachers or, you know, yogis or anything like that as even coming close to paralleling Christ? Oh, I think they could be 80 or 90 percent. If you read scripture and it's teaching and they are following the cosmic Christ, the cosmic Mm. archetype, they're they're aligning to it. They're better than I will be in my lifetime watching their lives. Uh, And then you go, well, what's different? Well, we then step forward and say, oh, and all your sins can be forgiven. It's the body and blood of Christ and his death and resurrection. Mm, mm. That's a powerful statement to me. Oh, yeah. 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 That's substitution. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, the the, the, the uh, uh, doctrine of substitution. Mm. And... Um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong in, in even this premise... But what must a, a Buddhist or Muslim do to be saved, um, uh, you know, beyond the moment of death 
which you've alluded to before, in which they encounter Christ. Mm, right. Yeah. Um, so if they met Christ uh, and walk down the street and they totally agree with each other, this guy and Christ, and then the guy goes, uh, hey, it was nice meeting you. I'm glad we think alike on everything. And he goes, oh, by the way, I'm going to be the judge of the universe again because I'm the archetype. He goes, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> That's the point where you're saying, oh, well, you've got a lot of good ideas. i got a lot of good ideas. But you don't have any authority. Mm. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. So do you think that it's impossible um, for, like, you know, a, a, a Buddhist or a, a Muslim or a Sikh to be saved before that initial moment of death in which they gravitate towards or push away against Christ? Yeah, there is where in Scripture says we can't judge who will be saved and who won't be. Mm. And, and so it, certainly to me, you know, by Scripture then it's possible because who am I to say who will be saved or not be saved? I, I can't judge. Uh, we have some tension that we and I just discuss, and then I express an opinion about, and then you have authority, can't just be a bunch of theory. Um, still, what comes down to it, a person may actually believe more in the power of God than I do. Yeah. They're already saved. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, this is totally off topic, but I, I, I hear this really fascinating idea um, <clears throat> that I actually got the seed of from the uh, philosopher Jacques Derrida, who says that without agnosticism, without doubt, faith cannot exist. Because if you're 100% positive, 100% sure, then there is no room for faith. There's no there's no room for that uncertain certainty. There's no room for that I believe this even though I don't I don't see it, I can't touch it. So without that lack of knowing in a tangible sense, it's impossible to know in a metaphysical sense. I think anyone who would disagree with that statement is beginning to just argue over words. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's the only way to say it. I agree that that's the only way to say it, in that faith is my assumptions. And it needs to be clear to me, I believe, that I make assumptions. Others will make other assumptions. And so that's faith is. Then there's another part where the scripture says the righteous will live by faith. To me, that is, they won't. Um, go back and question everything all of the time that they said a moment ago they believed. Mm. Um, so that element is also being considered uh, that, alright, so if I have no faith, I have no confidence in myself even. So trying to make it more experiential. Uh, someone says, oh, Greg, you're, you're the Here's a base jerk for Matt. And I go, oh, I am? Oh, wow, I'm a base jerk. Oh, I didn't know I was such a jerk. That's a lack of faith in who I am. Just because someone said something. So, you know, I, 
I know myself. I know what I've done. I'm not perfect, and I, I don't believe the biggest truth in the world. Um, so to live by faith is to say, no, I, I believe God is good. Right now, everything's going crazy and wild and out of place, and God's going to make it right someday. I'm going to keep marching to the idea that I'm going to do what's right and might get punished for it. But I believe it's what God is speaking to my heart to do. Yeah. Living by faith, too. Could you see how by a, and I'm not contradicting you, but could you see by a certain definition that march and that empty um, trail which you're walking down towards the faith is a form of unknowing, is a form of agnosticism? It's a form of unknowing, certainly, because it's an assumption. I'm assuming God is good. I can't prove... You can't touch it. Yeah. Yeah, I can't prove. But I have a strong assumption that I'm operating, assumption that God exists. I'm going to live by faith that God exists. And yeah, I can't prove it. So I think I'm hearing it the same way you are. It's agnostic is to say, I don't know. Well, yeah, that's the definition of faith. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, awesome. Um, I have a, uh, just a couple more uh, topics if you have time for it. Um, one thing that occurred to me while I was back in Kansas City, uh, you know, I was meeting a lot of kids that were my age, or, you know, young adults that were my age, um, and I seemed to really relate with them and really get along with them. And then when I came to find out that they had never, ever stepped away from the church, it, it seemed to, I, I hate this. I really do. I hate this, but I lost a level of respect for them that they hadn't ever stepped back, you know, almost like a, what's it called? Room Springer, you know, and, um, and had the strength to, to be called back by God and have the strength to say, you know what? This really is what I believe. You know, um, and I'm, I'm I'm not saying that to get a reaction out of you. I'm, I'm it's just an, obser- an observation that I've come to recently that like, and maybe it goes hand in hand with the whole fear thing. Like I'm too afraid to step out of the box of Christianity, but I, I just have so much more respect and relate so much more with someone who has dared to question and, and dared to doubt. And then come full circle and said, "Wow, this really, this really is true." Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've not been through the fire and the trial, tribulation and difficulty. And I align that to Romans, where it says that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope, and hope does not disappoint because of Christ. And I look at what Nate has been through and I say to him. Yo, man, you've been forced to wrestle with a lot of things and come to conclusions. Now you're stronger in who you are and what you believe that others haven't. You just simply charged along and always did what society expected. And same thing in prison. I quote that passage and say, you know, you all built a lot of character. And you get to the next, get to the other side, in the next life, you're going to have character that others haven't built. It doesn't matter whether you chose to do something wrong that then caused the suffering. But the suffering for a character, it, it, 
it happens whether you're it's your fault quote unquote or not right it's happened it's good yes yeah and so yeah you can look at them as well they're they're perhaps a little naive or inexperienced Uh, Uh, right Right, right, right. It's almost like the thing where mom told me as a child, if I had been born any other religion, I'm 100% sure that I would still be in that religion. I just got lucky that I was a Christian. And maybe that's why it stuck for me, like, what else is out there sort of thing? Like, what else is there to offer sort of thing? Um, Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to... um think through that and it that's where we rely say well god has to call people um and it happens many different ways and um you know how it happens to anybody in their life where they are and how they got there uh, you know it could be a million different options sure sure yeah um just out of curiosity a side note here um i don't want to get if, if i get too personal please stop me Genuinely, please stop me. Uh, where is Nate at right now spiritually? Mm. Yeah, I know he has expressed returning to faith. I don't believe all his questions are being answered today. Yeah. He's not surrounded by people of the intellectual rigor that he needs to engage with. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he, I mean, he, I truly believe he had a revelation and that his baptism was real, the conversion is real, and now he says, and what about all these questions and doubts and concerns? And there's no one there talking to him about it. I see, I see. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Um, and my uh, last... Uh, my, oh, go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I say I'm going to make some calls this week to try to help on that point. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm, probably, I'm sure that, you know, therapy and things like that would help him to kind of dig deeper and, 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 and figure all that out. Yeah. Um, my last question for you, and this is something else that we, we brought up before in a discussion. Um, where do you sit on, on, on hell right now? Mm, right. So I believe it has to exist because my sin has to go somewhere. And the more and more I think about... Um, is I don't have answers as to does anyone permanently either disappear into that fire and they're burned, destroyed. Um, I imagine that that's a potential. And but I, I believe the existence of hell as the place where anything simple bad ends up and yeah. burned and. You know, it's not around anymore as far as we're concerned. Yeah. Do you believe in it as a conscious afterlife? I have trouble. uh, No, I'm going to say I do not believe in a permanent torturing of souls. Yeah. uh, In a a way that goes beyond what is required in order to eliminate the degradation that, you know, hell is there to eliminate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I heard a recent quote that um, hell is a mindset that we put ourselves into on earth, a self-loathing, uh, you know, you know, selfish 
sort of mindset that we can easily dwell in our entire lives. And I'm not saying that I support that idea, but I think it's something worth considering. Yeah, so the use of the word hell, that is not the way Scripture perhaps uh, puts right. it. Right. They talk about Hades, and they borrow from mythology in terms of what, what we were talking about. But it's clear there's a judgment, and after judgment there's this place there, you know, goats and the sheep separation. Um, some go into the New Jerusalem, and some go into this fiery uh, furnace. Um, and that's, I think, they're in the experience of hell, so as you described, which is, to me is the anxiety and doubt and questioning, uh, self-induced suffering. Mm. Okay. Okay. Sounds like Holly agrees with you there. Yeah, you can hear that. You know. <laughs> The dogs on the same team. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, anything else that you want to bring up or any questions uh, for me? I'm really, really glad for this. I appreciate you asking. Cool. Awesome, Dad. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Love you. I love you, Dad. listening guys that was my interview with my dad greg grow it's always a pleasure to hear from him and check in and see how his worldview and his faith are constantly evolving and being affected by the things around him both uh, externally and the things happening internally with him it kind of just goes to show you that you're never done learning you're never done growing up and learning new things um, I'm very, very grateful to him, even though he and I might not see eye to eye in every single thing. We have a very strong love and bond and respect for each other, and, and we help to keep each other in check whenever it's needed. And so I love him and appreciate him very much, and he's one of the most generous people that I know. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash era of grievances. You can go to soundcloud.com slash air of grievances i now have a tumblr you can go to tumblr.com slash air of grievances podcast uh you can also call leave us a voicemail 612-460-0364 it'll go straight to voicemail and you can leave any sort of message that you would like feel free I'm Caleb Bro, and you've been listening to the Air of Grievances podcast. See you guys next time. I love you.
Thank you.